Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Thank you to Ivy for letting me speak. That's great. That's a great privilege. That's awesome. I'm so grateful that you would say, yeah, that you make that you make it a an, an important part of who you are. That you actually release people into what God gives them to do, and that you you're not inter- so interested in just making it that the very best people can do it and nobody else. But you actually allow people to have a go and people to step into stuff. So thank you that you do that here. Thank you that you do it. Uh, so again, so to Anthony, to the elders, to site leaders, people like Tim, to people like that who are uh, you know, people that do the worship teams and invest in people, like Sam with student work. Thank you that you do it. Thank you that you make it part of this church and part of why it's so amazing to be in this community. Yeah? So thank you. So I was a little bit concerned about tonight's talk, as I usually am about my talks, because... I can be a little bit hectic sometimes. So I pray that you'll just forgive me because we're just going to go right ahead, jump in and have a whale of a time. Yeah? Let's do it. So what we're talking about is the authority of Jesus. Yeah? We're talking about the authority of Jesus and we're talking about the lordship of Jesus. Yeah? I love the issue of authority because we have an issue with authority. Yeah? Because we don't really like it. So I think it's been a difficult talk to write because it's, we have an issue with it. And the, and the idea is now that we all just get to dictate our own stuff and what we think. And that that is the, pri- the most important thing, is what I think. And really, it's not. So what I think is not the highest authority in the world. The Lordship of Jesus is the highest thing in the world. That's what it is. Yeah, but it's really exciting. And those worship songs—they were like great God-honoring songs, weren't they? It was—it wasn't about like us and how how we can encourage us to do stuff. It was just how to worship Jesus, just worship Jesus, honor Jesus, bless Jesus. That's what we did. So it's great, right? Is there any chance that the video will work, Matt, or not? No chance. Okay. The video was about wolves, wolves in the Yellowstone National Park. Okay. Anybody seen this video? Fantastic, fantastic little video. So the wolves in the Yellowstone National Park had, well, they hadn't been in the park in the States for about 80 years or something like that. I'm going to totally butcher this video because I'm trying to remember it from memory. They hadn't, they hadn't, they hadn't been in the park for 80 years or so. And subsequently, this huge national park... <laughs> Roll the tape! big enough. Go for it. Transform not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography.
Right. So, you know what my point will be there. <laughs> the wolves, I like that phrase, yeah? A trophic cascade from the, the animal that's highest in the food chain affects everything else, even if small in number. Have we not been given, have we not got the highest authority in the world in the name of Jesus? Have we not got the highest authority in the, name of the, world, in, in the world in the blood of Jesus? So that even when small in number, it affects everything else. That the church and the community, even when small in number, can affect everything else around it. A community of believers can affect everything right down to the physical landscape. To the physical geography. Responds to the, to the importance of authority. Man, come on. So we're in a series looking at 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter, and Anthony's done an amazing... It feels weird calling him Anthony. My dad has done an amazing job. He's done an amazing job of explaining in, the, in previous weeks about the, the kind of persecution that the early church was under. But, so I'm not going to go into, into the type of persecution that they were experiencing, but rather why they were experiencing persecution, first of all. We're going to, we're going to jump around a bit, so stick with me. So, no worries. So... So why were, they, why were they suffering persecution? So you, what you have to see is that the, the, the Rome at this time was an incredibly polytheistic society. So they had loads of gods. They had gods for everything. If we were here, and say we all lived here in Didsbury, we might have a god here that we worship. Yeah, say if you were a tradesman in some way, there might be a god that you would worship as, in, as part of your trade. Yeah, if, if, we then went, if I went for dinner with my friend, say, in Cheadle, and he worshipped a different god... I would do honour to his God before dinner. So I would both to avoid offence with him and to kind of you know, retain the relationship, but also to avoid the wrath of his God because I've gone to visit him, so I will do honour to him. But the Christians, on the other hand, said there's one God. They said, no, we worship Jesus and that's it. We worship Jesus. And we've been wooed by the love of the Father, and that's it. Nothing, no, we're not doing anything else. We're not worshipping other gods. We're not doing it. So and imagine, the, imagine the effect that this had. Well, we could say, okay, Jews in that time, they also believed in one God, right? Why, why then were they not suffering such intense persecution? Well, the reason was that they were a, a much more significant subculture. They wouldn't do, they wouldn't, you know, one of the reasons why the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord didn't like Jesus was because he spoke to the people that they never would. That they were like, no, don't speak to them, stay away from them, don't, don't, don't interact with them. But the Christians were like, oh, Jesus did it. And they were everywhere, they were popping up everywhere. Yeah? And, but every time saying, no, we're not going to do honor to other gods. We're not going to do honor to other gods. This was early in the time, but um, also saw, so they, this was, what was something that was beginning was called Caesar worship, right? So the Roman ruler, they would, to, to figure out who were the Christians and who weren't, they would bring out a statue of Caesar. This was about, kind of about to happen sort of after this time. They would bring out a statue of Caesar, and they would say, okay, we'll come and burn incense to this image and say, Caesar is Lord. So people would come and say, if you were, if you had your god of, little g god of Didsbury and you were happy to, then you could just say, okay, fine, well, I'll be tolerant. I'll say Caesar is Lord. It doesn't really mean anything to me. It's just, I can just say it, can't I? I don't have to really believe it. But the Christians wouldn't. 
they would come out and they would say, no, Jesus is Lord. And then they would suffer as a result of that significantly. So while we're not under the same persecution at all, at all, we are in a time of a similar root question, which is one of authority. And a root of it is lordship. Right? So 1 Peter 1, we're going to look at a couple of bits. 1 Peter 1, 13. Prepare your minds for action. We're going to go 13 to 17, I think. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the first bit to begin to understand authority and lordship. Okay? So this is talking about the second coming about what will happen when Jesus does return, when he does return, and we all see, the whole world will see that he is the king. And that will happen. And this was to encourage the, the communities that Peter was writing to, to say, I know that you're suffering, I know you're under persecution, but Jesus is returning. He is coming back. But in the, in the interim time, we still require a revelation of Jesus as king, we still require a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a very significant statement for Peter to make as he was the first person to receive the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the anointed Son of God, that he is the only one that can save, that he is the only one that can bring us into relationship with the Father because we cannot do it on our own. There will never be anything that too bad that will disqualify us from experiencing the love of Jesus, from experiencing the love of God. And there is nothing that will ever qualify us for it other than the revelation of Jesus as the Christ. So, we're going to go to a bunch of different, bunch of scripture, right? It's going to be great. Matthew 16, 15. This is in the Passion Translation, because some of these these passages are are a bit familiar to some of us. So it's nice to put a bit of a fresh twist on it, a bit of something to make you think about it. So, Jesus then says, so he said to them, who do people say that I am? Who does everyone, in this, in this bit, Jesus has said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're a prophet, some people say, you know, whoever, the people are, are deciding that Jesus is. And he says, well, no, who do you say that I am? That's the question that matters. Who do you say that I am? So Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are favoured and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, a rock, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. So what did it say in 1 Peter? Prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, when we're done with this, this will be the first thing. Do you need a revelation that Jesus is the Christ? Do you need the revelation that Jesus is the Christ? That he is the Son of God? That he came to earth, that he died on a cross, that he rose three days later for you to know him, for you to have a relationship with the Father. 
whether you are in suffering, persecution, whether you're just going about your day, you need a revelation of who Jesus is. That's the foundation, that's the basis of, of lordship. That's the beginning part of it, is to learn, oh, Jesus is the Christ. Why, why make him your Lord if he's not who he says he is? Why make him your Lord if he's not the anointed Holy Son of God? And here's the fun part. We can ask the Holy Spirit, and at the end of the talk, we will, to reveal to us supernaturally that he is the Christ. And subsequently that we are made children of God. And in Corinthians or somewhere it says, the, the spirit of adoption testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to testify with us tonight who we are and who Christ is. And he will. Next part for us to consider then is 1 Peter 14 to 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. I like this statement. Have a listen to this by a great Bible teacher named Watchman Nee. One who has not met authority often aspires to be God's counsellor. Let me say that again. One who has not met authority, one who has not met the authority of God, often aspires to be God's counsellor. So, look at this picture of these tables. You'll have, you'll have one on your seat. There's a, there should be a picture of two tables. All right? Now, just quickly, as soon as you've had a look at it, which of those tables would fit best down this aisle? Just don't take long. Which of these tables would fit best down that aisle? The long one. Yeah? See what you can do. Use a, use, a, use a finger, or if anybody happens to have a ruler in the pencil case, and if you're not bringing a pencil case to church, I don't know what's the matter with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right? But have a look. See, see just, just try and measure the sides and see. What's that? It's the same. No, it's not. Give over. That's not the same. They're totally different, right? Anybody else got it? Anybody else with a ruler? Well, anyway, regardless of that, now that we know that they are the same size, and you can take this home, take, get a ruler, and I, I give you my word, you actually have a ruler. Tim actually has a ruler, so we can have confirmation. <laughs> the, same, the, the same length, all of the dimensions of these two tables are the same. And the width. The length and the width. And take it home and check it for yourself, but now that we know, you can see it, right? No? Yes, no, now you know you can, see, you can see it. No, you can't. And this is the nice thing about your former ignorance, is that it goes with you through your entire life. <laughs> right? Because you know now that they're the same. Oh, and I've made... Oh, I don't like understanding G authority. That doesn't look good. Sorry. But now, your former ignorance is really not your former ignorance at all. It's just your ignorance and my ignorance and the ignorance of us as those who are human beings, right? So what's the solution to the passions of our former ignorance? To be as obedient children. To, to basically understand that should, should Jesus say, 
if, if he wanted to, not that he would, that those two tables are the same, that you just take his word for it. That because he says it, the kingdom is not run on opinions. It's run on the word of God. And that's, that's the plumb line. Yeah? That everything has to fall in line with. So here's another bit, Matthew 16, 15. So he's just had the revelation of Jesus Christ, like in the previous bit, we all have had the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And then he says, did I put this on here? Oh, yeah. So we've just read about this. So, and then Jesus goes on to say, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over to the to the teachers of the law I'm going to be handed over I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be killed and then three days later I'm going to be raised from the dead and Peter who's just had the revelation that Jesus is the anointed son of God who now, who now has, has supernaturally revealed to him that the son of God is, and now he's saying this is what's going to happen and he says he aspires to be God's counsellor and says Peter took him aside privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, Master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. He was aspiring to be God's counsellor. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get out of my way, you Satan. You are an offence to me, because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. So the, that's, that's the reality of being as obedient children submitted to the Lordship of Christ is that basically, like all obedient children, you do what you're told. And that doesn't... I don't say that as somebody that does what they're told a lot of the time at all. My mum's here. Ask her. Yeah? But I say that as... That's, that's, what, that's what we hope for. And why? Why be holy as he is holy? Right? That, that, you, you read that, be holy as, as he is holy. And that's like, oh, I can't be. Well, you, yeah, absolutely. But righteousness is, is imbued to you. You've been made righteous. Again, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to qualify yourself for it. You're never, we're never going to be as holy as Jesus. But why be holy as he's holy? Because it's what's best for you. Because even an attempt at holy living is what's best for you. In Corinthians, Paul writes, one of my favorite verses, you say, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. That's good enough reason to be holy as he is holy. There's grace, there's grace. There's all, there's, there's grace. There's so much grace. But you say, you say, all things are permissible for me. I can do what I want. No, holiness says it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial you're not disqualified from anything I'm not going to cast you out I'm not ashamed of you and don't want anything to do with you because you've done something wrong but it's not beneficial holiness is beneficial to you isn't it being obedient to a father that loves you is beneficial to you Romans 12 do not be conformed to the pattern of this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind and here's the thing right to try and it's probably not going to work will you grab the table yeah thank you so what we need is to continually 
begin to see more of who he is. We need to continually, we need to invest time. I thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to worship on your Sunday night. It matters to God. It matters in your relationship with him. And as you take time, you begin to see more of who he is. You see more of who he is. You see, as, you, as we read the word, as you read the gospels, you see more of who he is. And that's the thing. I don't know if this is going to be the same dimensions, but then you get to see how the table actually fits. Because you can see it, you can touch it. Reach out, touch it. If it's just a theoretical thing you read or a thing you see on the screen, but it's not real to you, you need, you need to experience him. You need to experience God. I understand in, in the importance of having a faith that is not just reliant on feeling a tingle here and something like that, but God wants to have a real relationship with you that you know. Do you get that? He want, and, and, he, and you can. The beauty of it is that you can because he is alive. The last section that we're going to look at is by far the most important. And in 1 Peter 1, 17 to, to 19, I'm going to focus mainly on 18 to 19. Um, it says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And this is the bit that I really want to focus on. Not that there's nothing in that jeepers creepers. But this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What Jesus did in his death and resurrection was the most significant event in all of human history for all of time. And it, and it, is, it has redefined what love is forever. There, is, there, there will never be anything that will be a different... Jesus said to his disciples, no greater love is a man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. He redefined what love is for all time. The amount of narratives that, that nicked it and did a shabby job of it, of dying in someone's place, of sacrificing yourself for someone else, he did that for everyone. For everyone. And we were ransomed, we were bought. We were ransomed by the blood of Christ. We've been bought by it. So we can't boast and say of anything that we've done to make it happen we were bought you are not your own you've been bought with a price so the last little bit of Peter's story we've gone through a bit of Peter's story because I love it I love Peter uh, Sarah this morning at Academy said that millennials love authenticity and realness and that that's all we care about is that somebody can show man you read Peter's story guy is real talk He's really, really real. But throughout the Gospels, Peter has a tendency of trying to convince Jesus and show him that out of the 12 main followers, that he's the best one. He, you know, he gets caught in, the, in some of the, you know, who's the greatest conversations. He says, hey, listen, everyone else might leave. Everyone else might go, Jesus, mate. But me, I'm with you till the end. 
I'll never leave. I'll never go. Trust me. I had the revelation of you as the Christ. They didn't. They didn't know. Right? And this Peter, he's walked on water with Jesus. He's fed thousands of people as a result of seeing Jesus miraculously multiply bread. Freakishly. Peter recognised Jesus as the Christ. And then he disowned him three times. He told, his, he told people he'd never met that he never knew Jesus. That he had no idea who he was. Three times he said, no, I don't. As he'd been taken off to die, he said to people, no, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. Leave me alone. And then in John 21, Jesus comes and has breakfast with them and he's going to reinstate Peter. And Alan, Alan de Botton, Botton describes, not specifically this, but this phrase I think describes how he may be feeling quite well in a book called Status Anxiety, where he says, From failure flows humiliation, a corroding awareness that we have been unable to convince the world of our value. Let me say that again. From failure flows humiliation. A corroding awareness that we have been unable to convince the world of our value. And when I read Peter, I, when I read the Gospels, I see a lot of examples of him not trying to convince the world of his value, but him trying to convince his Lord of his value. And now in John 21, after he's seen him die and be raised to life, he realises that he doesn't need to convince him of his value at all. Let's have it. Let's have this chunk of scripture. Boom. Bullet pointed. Who knows why? John 21, 15 to 19. After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? That's what he'd said, right? They could all leave. I won't. Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you pleased. But one day when you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. And you see, Jesus has revolutionised love for Peter. He's gone through all of the Gospels trying to, trying to make him his Lord, trying to do the Lordship thing with him. But now he realises that it's simply the Lordship question is the question that Jesus asks. It's, do you love me? 
the lordship question will always be, do you love me? And he comes back to him, he says, and Tim explained this to me the other night, that the, the different words he used for, for love, he said, do you agape me? And agape is that, that passionate, burning, self-sacrificing love that Jesus showed on the cross. And he says, I phileo you in the Greek, right? Which is, I have a brotherly affection for you. I love you. Essentially, I, I, I can't say I love you like you love me. I cannot say that I love you like you love me because you, you've totally switched it. And I don't know. And I thought I did. And then I disowned you and said I never knew you. I thought I loved you. But I, but I don't know. I can't say that. And then on the third time he says, listen, do you, do you have great affection for me? And, he's, and he says, my Lord, you know everything. Simon Ponsonby, a vineyard guy, said that that, that, that is like saying, I, can't, I don't even know. I know you know better what's in my heart. When we sing songs of worship tonight, you could be there like, yes, I love you, Lord, I love you, I love you. Or you could be like, oh, I don't even know. I don't know, I don't know what's in my heart. I can't express the kind of love for Jesus that I want to. I can't, I can't physically bring myself to place him and put him in that place of lordship. But he wants to reveal himself as the Christ to you. He knows, he knows that we're foolish. He knows that we make mistakes. But the lordship question is always simply, as a result of understanding how great my love is for you, do you love me? Do you love me? And however much we can say that back to him, it's okay. Because then he says, listen, the way I died, one day you're probably going to die like that. You're going to experience radical suffering, Peter. And he did. And that time it came round to it and he didn't, he didn't sacrifice his lordship. The first time he disowned him three times. The second time he said, I'm not worthy to be, to be killed in the same way as my lord. And they crucified him upside down. Because he knew, I love you. That's it. That's lordship. Lordship centers around that. I love you. However much it is today, however much it will be 50 years. And then he says, Peter at this moment, he looks at John and he says, what about John? What about that disciple? Does he have to die like that too? And you know what he says? doesn't matter about John. You follow me. Forget about John. Forget about John's lordship journey. You follow me. Do you love me? So where are you tonight? That's the question. That's the only thing. I want to finish now. That's the thing. Jesus would, would, would love to say to you today, do you love me? Do you know? Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know I'm the Christ? Do you know I've poured out my love for you? And do you love me? And just answer him. If you don't know who he is, say, Lord, reveal yourself. This guy is saying you're the Christ. Saying you're the son of God. Reveal yourself to me. And he will. He's desperate to. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.